from the EPR Creation Studio. This is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples, and I'm back after quite a hiatus. I won't go into too much detail about why uh, things have taken so long, but uh, suffice it to say that I had several major uh, projects for this podcast and for some of the extras that I wanted to do this off season, including a full uh, scouting report across the board on some things. But uh, those things were not to be because I had some other deadlines that I've had to, uh, to handle up till now off the field and um, still working through some of those, but we're getting close enough to the season that I need to record and need to, uh, to get back into the saddle a little bit just to be able to, to uh, get into the season groove. So those deadlines are going to have to, They'll get done when they when when they need to, but uh, they, when they need to be. But um, this is now a new deadline that has to be in there. We're out of the silly season of the summer when I don't feel so uh, guilty about not getting stuff out. So we are now at this point. I'm excited to uh, to be back for another season. I don't know if this is the ninth or the tenth season of this podcast, but been around for quite a while now. Uh, glad to glad to be here, and thanks again for all, all of you for sticking with me all all these years. A uh, lot to catch up on, though. First off, just in terms of news from camp, obviously some injuries that have uh, that have hit pretty hard at, at different spots. C.J. Campbell being a guy that uh, is now out for the year. Caden Lyles, uh, the the backup center, uh, tra- transfer from from Wisconsin, and yes, he was running as the backup to Maurice Smith, uh, but a key backup, a guy that they brought in to provide some depth on that offensive line. Uh, those are the, those are two major injuries in camp. That, uh, that that will have some impact. Uh, Campbell had been playing really well at running back to this point. But uh, all in all, a really good and encouraging camp. I mean, I think, uh, I think in general, the, the coaching staff is coming out of this camp really confident about what they've got on the roster and feeling like they've, they're a lot better than they've been. And frankly, they're going to need to be a lot better than they've been to have a successful season and to be where they need to be this year in order to be able to show proof of concept for recruiting. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be an interesting season for them, but they, they feel much more confident than they might have. Uh, some of the guys that they brought in as potential, uh, as potential help guys that they, they, they went out and got to try to boost the the talent on this team. Some of those guys are, are, have been real hits and, uh, and they've had, they had some of the other guys respond well to that as well. This is a better team. It's a much deeper team and a team that uh, that has fewer overall weaknesses than they've had the last three or four years. So just in terms of setting the floor of the roster, I think the news from camp is that this is a team that that you don't look at and and feel that there are got a bunch of guys out there that just don't belong. And and you all will remember last year, my my saying, look, there's there's 20 guys, 18 guys on this roster that if they left, if they suddenly disappeared and weren't on the weren't on the roster anymore they wouldn't be missed and most of those guys almost all of those guys are now gone and they've been replaced by players who actually are ACC level players not necessarily Florida State traditional Florida State level players but players that can compete in the ACC and uh, and guys that can compete at a level that can that can win in this program and so that that's a, a huge uh, a huge deal for this team uh, and also, I think that improved depth will help them in terms of special teams. But we'll get to some of this a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, I want to start out. Uh, I I did a a radio bit uh, a, a, about a week ago, and one of the one of the questions that was that was first asked, and I, I think it was it might have been the first question that was asked in that 
in that spot was how many games does does Mike Norvell have to win this season to keep his job? And you know, I know that this is a a, a point of discussion that that comes up a decent amount of time right now, but frankly, I, I as I said in that interview, I don't think there's a, a specific number that he has to win in order to keep his job this year. I think he has the support of the athletic director and of the administration. They believe that the direction of the program is headed in, in the right, that the program is headed in the right direction. Uh, And it would take a pretty significant collapse for them to essentially cease to think that Uh, there, there are a lot of encouraging things in terms of the direction that the program is going. The 2024 recruiting class looks like it might be flat out special uh, the 2023 class is gaining some momentum, even though there's a few guys that they would really like a second crack at. And if they can win enough games this season, they may just get that. But they're, they've got some momentum and they're laying some foundation in recruiting. So when you have those pieces there, it would take a pretty significant collapse in 2023 or 2022, that is, for them not to be there in 2023. So my answer to that is, Basically, they would probably have to not make a bowl again, and it would have to be ugly for him not to be back in 2023. I think, and and I don't think that's likely, frankly. So uh, I think you're going to see Mike Norvell back on the sideline in 2023, unless just it's almost an apocalyptically bad season from Florida State again. And I just don't see that happening. So, uh, so that's where I'm at on that. Now, in terms of reasons for optimism and these reasons for optimism, are brought to you by longtime sponsor Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Still the best in the business out there. If you want great drone footage of your property, if you want the best staging and photography for your uh, for your house to make sure that it absolutely pops when people go searching for it online, you need to talk to Lewis. If you need to buy a place in the greater Jacksonville area, nobody's going to outwork outwork him. Tell him you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. So reasons for optimism coming out of camp. So a few things here. First of all, one of the things, and, and I've done this for a couple of years now, having done this sort of preseason thing for over a decade now, there's been some, some things that I've learned. And over the past couple of years, I've, I've spent some time on this. And one of the things that I, I've really come to emphasize is when you're, when you're looking at expectations for a given year. One of the things you need to do is you need to start by comparing this year's talent level in terms of depth charts. So you're too deep, your starters to last year and saying, okay, where have there been upgrades? Where are there downgrades? And where are there some question marks? That That's one of the things you need to do to kind of establish, okay, realistically speaking, where's the floor? Where's, where's the potential ceiling here? Is it realistic to expect improvement? Because if you basically have the same group of guys coming back, well, you, sh- you should expect some incremental improvement, but you know they're the same guys in terms of talent level. Now, if you go from a group of freshmen to a group of sophomores and juniors, that can change some things, but that's, that's one thing. The second thing is, okay, you, you lose a few guys to the NFL, and then you replace them with guys that, you know, three-star guys, hardworking, lunch pail types, but you, you're not going to expect improvement there. Maybe you're not going to expect quite as much success. So that's that's kind of what you do. You you try to compare how the team has improved or not at each individual segment. So one of the things that I, I I've done is looking at last year. If I were evaluating this team 
as a coach and saying, okay, what do I need to do for this team to, to get better? Where, where were the areas that I got, that I got myself killed this year? What were the reasons that this team didn't make a bowl? And if I were going to go down the list and I was going to say, okay, these are the areas that need to be improved. These were the weaknesses that just killed us this year. Here are the weaknesses. Wide receiver, offensive line depth, cornerback, linebacker, quarterback, and punt returns. I'll go through that again, and I'm going to go through and spend a little bit of time on it. So first of all, wide receiver. Last year, you'll remember, in the preseason, after the spring game, what I said was, guys, I'm not sure they have any playmakers. I'm not, you know, they're going to have to score with smoke and mirrors because I don't see anybody out there who's winning one-on-ones. And unfortunately, it turned out that was right. <laughs> they, they didn't win a lot of one-on-ones last year. And when they did get big plays down the field in the passing game is because they schemed those guys open. Couple exceptions. Uh, Pokey Wilson had a couple big plays. You know, you had the big one-hander in, in single coverage last year against, against Florida. Uh, down the sideline, but even there, you know, he's not, there's not a ton of separation. It's just a great catch, great play. It's a big play. He wins the one-on-one, but by and large last year, the problem was you could look going into the season and you go, okay, running back, wide receiver, skill guys, where's your dudes? Where are your playmakers? Where are the guys that change the scoreboard when they get their hands on the, on the football? What guys did they have? That was a serious problem. And if you don't have playmakers, and you're going to have to rely on, on a combination of smoke and mirrors and misdirection and scheming guys open and then being really consistent and grinding it out and making sure that you, that you just don't make any mistakes in the running game, you're going to have a hard time winning football games in today's, in today's era. you got to score points. So what, what they needed to do is they needed to upgrade the wide receiver room. That's order number one if you're looking at priority there. you gotta ha- you got to add some guys who can win one-on-ones. Number two, offensive line depth. They went into the season last year with six guys on the offensive line that they could trust. That was Robert Scott. Uh, let's see, Robert Scott, Dylan Gibbons, Maurice Smith, uh, Babyon Johnson, Devontae Love Taylor, and Darius Washington. Those were the five or the six guys that they could trust. And then Robert Scott got dinged up and missed a couple games, missed about what two, two total games in terms of place in terms of uh, in terms of series and all of that and they got absolutely destroyed when he was not on the field there's one point where neither he nor washington were healthy so you had no offensive tackles on the roster that you trust then dylan gibbons goes down and the drop off from him being your best offensive lineman to the the sixth guy that you trust being baby on johnson is a decent one but even worse, Maurice Smith was out for a couple games as well. So now you've got you've got no depth behind that as well. So and Maurice Smith played the season at about 270 pounds because he'd gotten sick. So some problems there, right? And Devontae Love Taylor was coming off of that knee surgery, so he was still not fully healthy either. So offensive line depth, if any one of those guys went down, and if either of the offensive tackles went down, basically they couldn't run their offense. It's a serious problem. So you've got to have more than six guys. General rule of thumb is you want to have eight guys minimum on your offensive line that you can trust. So that gives you at least three tackles. That gives you at least three guards and then two centers, two guys that can snap the ball that you can trust. Really important. 
They didn't have that last year. And then they got bit by the injury bug. That was that. I mean, basically the, the, the Jacksonville state loss last year was in large measure because they, they had two major injuries on the offensive line and they couldn't run the football. And with, uh, Mackenzie Milton at quarterback, they really weren't throwing it well. So that was that. Then the other reason that they lost that game is the third thing on my list in terms of last year's weaknesses, and that's cornerback, and in particular, the boundary cornerback. They gave up way too many free verticals down the field. If you think about different games that they lost, you can basically go down the list and go, oh, okay, Louisville, you've got you know free vertical down the, down the middle of the field there, running right by the corner. It's just barely in the screen. They just ran right by him. Jacksonville State, how did they win? How did they win that game at the very end? Well, free vertical. You, you can start going down the line over and over and over again. They gave up way too many verticals down the field, and you can't be a good defense if you're playing great defense for, you know, five plays out of a drive, and then all of a sudden you give one up for fifty-five. That one that you gave up for fifty-five, you only gave up one play. That's great, but it was the one that really mattered. You've got to be able to cover. And you got to be able to have guys that are fast enough not to give up those verticals and play with good enough technique as well. But one of the problems they had is that, that their primary corner on the boundary was just not fast enough to keep up with some of the receivers that they're playing against. And once he got out, once he got in trail technique or got out of phase, it was over. So they needed to figure out what a way to upgrade that cornerback room so that they could have two outside corners that they could trust. They ended the year with one, with, with Duke Cooper. They needed to find a second one that they could trust. Third, or this is fourth, that is. That's the linebacker position. Last year, teams abused the linebackers in coverage in particular, and they also had some limited quickness downhill. They're pretty good against the run last year, but they could have been better had the linebackers as a unit been, been better there. But really, it was, the biggest problem was in terms of coverage. They had some guys that really just couldn't run all that well. And then the fifth one was quarterback. Travis last year missed a lot of time, and when he was out, they were downright awful. They didn't have another guy that could step in and just manage the game because Mackenzie Milton was playing on ha- on on one leg, and you had some of the stuff with Chuba not being ready to go and then leaving when he would have been called upon, so plenty of problems there. And then finally, punt returns, which may, may well have lost the, the Florida game by themselves. So you think about those six factors, those six things are what you're looking, looking at, in my opinion. When I look at last year's team, those are the places I've got to, I've absolutely got to improve if I'm going to have any better results. So interestingly, if you look at what this coaching staff did, they aggressively worked to improve those exact areas. And coming out of camp, the good news is it looks like they hit across the board on the guys they took. So give give them kudos both for landing the guys that they landed and for their evaluations on this. First and foremost, at linebacker, Tatum Bethune, the, the UCF transfer, is the best linebacker on the roster, and it's not even close. He's an instant upgrade. He gives them a bell cow linebacker that, it, that it's a guy that can play, and a, and a guy that can play at the FSU level at the linebacker position. Is he, you know, Lawrence Timmons? No, but he's a whole lot closer to that than anybody they've trotted out there in a long time. 
And then that allows Kalen DeLoach to be a strong number two. And then DJ Lundy, 20 pounds lighter than last year, moving better, gives them a good number three in terms of having a rotation that, that, that you can trust. So already better at the linebacker spot. And you typically don't rotate more than about three or four guys at linebacker. And they're, they're, they're in pretty good shape there now. Last year, that was a weakness going in. This year, that's actually one of the strengths of your defense. Then at corner, like I said, they gave up way too many verticals. And frankly, my, my first thought here is that they're going to be better in that respect, regardless of any additions, just because the, because the, the main problem there is now at Louisville, tra- having transferred out and moved to Louisville. He's now Louisville's problem, which makes me wonder. I mean, if I'm Florida State's coaching staff, I'm preparing to line up a couple of my faster receivers one-on-one on him. If Louisville wants to cover one-on-one with Brownlee against one of my guys, I feel like I can run by him. Uh, I, I saw that that movie enough times when he was on my team. I'm going to see if I can get a couple freebies against Louisville. Who knows if that, uh, if that actually transpires, but it's certainly how I game plan. But what they did is they threw bodies at the corner position. They went out, and first of all, they, they got Renardo Green healthy. And last year, they, they had him at the free safety position uh, because he was essentially their, the guy that they thought would be a really good coverage option there. He got hurt. I never felt I never felt like he was a good fit at that spot. I always thought that he would be a better corner. I liked him as a freshman at corner, uh, and I always felt like he was even going back into high school. He was the better prospect than Brownlee. Brownlee, you know, was a guy that had a lot of uh, swagger and that sort of thing, but never had the tools to really be the kind of corner that 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 you needed him to be at, at the Florida State level. Green actually has the kind of speed and length that you want to have at that position to be a decent corner at Florida State. And so he's better than any of the other options that they had last year already. And, and a guy that's going to come and be consistent day in, day out. So that already is 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 an upgrade over what you have with Brownlee, what you have with, with Travis Jay last year, who got smoked, <clears throat> you know, too many times last year. Uh, and then you had... Jerry and Jones, who hasn't been healthy for two years, though he's healthy now, which that in itself is interesting. I mean, if he's fully healthy, he looked good his first spring at Florida State before getting hurt. If he's actually healthy, he may actually be a, a decent depth piece there. He's been competing at the nickel spot, uh, where I think actually he fits better anyway. But Green already solidifies that position compared to what you had. Just being healthy, being out there, being consistent. But then you've, you threw bodies at it and you signed Azaria Thomas, who may well take that position, even if Green is good, because this guy's a freak. But it's going to take him a little time as a freshman. But if you want to talk about a guy that's not going to just get run by at the corner position, that guy's not going to get run by. And even if he does, he's 6'3 and long, 6'2 and change. So you've got some, some help there. They went out and they got Greedy Vance as well. I, I don't know that he's a guy that that is necessarily an upgrade there, but he's a body that that you can trust to be able to run. They got faster. So if you're going to make that trade, I'm going to make that trade every time for Brownlee for Vance, just because Vance can run and Brownlee can't. And then you've got this last minute edition of Malik Feaster from Jacksonville State. And he's a, another guy that can really run. I mean, a former track guy. So you've got a, a group of rece- a group of corners now. You've added basically four corners to your roster 
with Green getting healthy and then adding Thomas Feaster and Vance, those guys all can run in ways that last year's corners really couldn't. So now you feel like you're not going to give up those, those verticals nearly so easily at that corner position, and you've got decent depth at the corner spot. And then, of course, fifth guy of Jerry and Jones is actually healthy. Who knows what you're going to get from him. Has had, has had a pretty good camp, though has been mossed a few times, in particular by Johnny Wilson, but we'll get to that in a minute. And then you've got, you know, freshman Sam McCall. Again, this position is going to be better just because they threw enough athletes at it that somebody's going to figure it out. There's a lot more speed at the position. So even if they are giving up some plays, those mistakes aren't automatic touchdowns where guys are running away and, and they can't catch up like they were last year with Brownlee. And also to a lesser extent with, uh, with Travis J. So they're going to be better at linebacker. They're going to be better at corner. So defensively, the two places where they had the, the most trouble last year, they've shored up just by bringing in help. And then the third spot of those six, wide receiver, well, it also helps if you've got quality players at wide receiver to challenge your corners in practice. And if your receivers can't get separation against anybody, well, your corners can keep winning in practice and not getting any better. Well, what they did is they went out and they added four wide receivers. They th- again, they threw bodies at the position in the transfer portal. Unfortunately, the Winston Wright injury in the spring, he's not going to be back from that for a little while yet still. And even when he is, you, you know, it's going to take some time. So that one hurts. But the guy that really you needed to be the dude coming in is Johnny Wilson. He's a guy that showed in limited exposure at, at Arizona State that he could be a dude, albeit inconsistent at times. But 6'6 plus and moves like that, you've got a guy who can become that back shoulder vertical threat that Mike Norvell has had in every offense that he's coached up until coming to Florida State. Now, if you go back into the archive, and, you, and when I first was discussing the Norvell hire a couple of years ago and talked about his offense and what they do, one of the things that Norvell and his, his offensive, various offensive coordinators under him have said in the past is when they run vertical routes, when they run uh, fades, when they run go routes, that sort of thing on the outside, they traditionally have expected to throw 94% of those back shoulders. That's just the way they, that's the way they practice. That's the way they've run their offense because it's a harder thing to cover and it's a more likely uh, completion. And the only time you don't throw it back shoulder is if the guy is just way over the top and he's running free. And then the quarterback lets him, lets it go and lets it go out there. But they basically predicate a good portion of their offense. And there's a decent number of RPO type things that they do where they have a they have a go route on on the boundary side in particular they have a go route and they're expecting that guy to be able to win one on one and win in particular on back shoulder throws that essentially is a trump card that they can put down at any moment okay you know second and 3 we're going to run an rpo but we got a go route here on the outside up oh, back shoulder throw because you covered it the way that we that we felt like our guy can win one on one there quarterback has the ability to throw this at any time we're going to make that an 80-20 ball. We just got 18 yards instead of running it for, you know, four yards and a first down. That Those chunk plays make a big difference offensively, and it's a big part of what Norvell has done in the past. 
The last two years, Norvell hasn't had one player on the Florida State roster that they felt could do that consistently. Based on what we've seen in camp so far, Johnny Wilson can. That was the hope when they signed him. That was the hope when they brought him in from Arizona State as a, as a transfer. The hope was that he would be that. You don't need a whole lot else from him if he can just be that. If he can dominate on the back shoulder throws, on the boundary, be a really good blocker, and then periodically win on some glance routes and things like that again in the RPO game, and just be a, a red zone monster otherwise, all of a sudden you've completely changed the complexion of your offense because of what he allows you to do in terms of play calling. All of a sudden teams have to not single cover press that guy on the, on the boundary. All of a sudden they're having to pull that extra safety out of the box and then that changes what you're doing in terms of run fits on the front side. That changes a lot for Norvell's offense. That opens up the running game in ways that it, it's hard to explain in just an audio format. But Wilson, to me, looked like he might be that dude. I said it when, when they went out and got him. I said it when he first hit the portal before they went out and got him. And it sure from camp looks like he may be that dude. He's going to be given every opportunity. And you get a couple big catches in, in, in early on. You know, Ideally, you get a, a few big catches in that first game and get his confidence going. And all of a sudden, you've, you're, 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 running, you're hitting the ground running there. Then, of course, you have two birds with one stone. The punt return problem is essentially solved by bringing in Micah Pittman. If he does nothing else other than catch every punt that's punted this year and not let him hit the ground and not fumble, then he's worth the scholarship. But he's also a guy that he doesn't get a ton of space. You know, looking at his, at his, at his uh, stuff from Oregon, he's not a guy that, that is super bursty and creates a ton of separation but he does a lot with what separation he gets. Really strong hands, strong player, nice gadget player, and, and a guy that's going to be able to do a lot in the screen game. And again, with Wilson being on the, on the blocking side, you put both of those guys on the same side, and all of a sudden Pittman becomes a screen weapon. Again, an upgrade there. And then you have the third guy, Deuce Span, who, you know, I, I said I, I thought he might be wide receiver one in the portal just because of his overall ceiling. May not be a guy that, that would contribute in 2022, but in 2023 could be a monster. Well, it turns out he's going to have a role in 2022. If nothing other than just being a guy that they put out there to run some go routes, to run some post-climb concepts, to be able to take the top off the defense because he can run and he's figured out how to play the receiver position enough that when you take 6-4 and you take that speed, all of a sudden he's an upgrade there just in terms of being able to be a, a situational vertical weapon. Again, changes the way teams can cover you because he can create space. He can get separation. He doesn't need to be a great route runner to get separation because 6-4, sub 4-5. It's real simple. So then you add to that, that all the other receivers, but parchment return. So is this group improved? Well, if two of your three starting wide receivers are going to be transfers and all of the other guys from last year, except for parchment return, then yeah, you know what? Looks like you've just upgraded that room and you've got one guy for sure. That looks like he can win one-on-ones and win vertical one-on-ones for you reasonably consistently. 
So now you've improved at that core area. And then you've got, you know, some potential big play ability as well with Deuce Span as as a guy that that can at least come in and be a threat of that. He doesn't have to do it all the time. Just a guy that that you have to worry about that you have to worry about giving some safety help because yeah, he may not be good at other things, but he can run by my corner. Well, again, that changes what you what you the way you call a defense if you're a defensive coordinator. So you just stick him out there some. But the wide receiver group is likely again to start two transfers and then either Malik McLean or Pokey Wilson. And if those guys are three and four in terms of the wide receiver pecking order instead of one and two, you've just gotten better at wide receiver. And you've made it so that those guys actually might get matchups that they can win on a more consistent basis. You know, if they're drawing the two and three or three and four coverage guys on the other team, suddenly they're in, in matchups that they can win. So that changes a lot for you at wide receiver. So that's three places where I think they're going to be better. Are they going to be elite at wide receiver? I don't think so. But are they going to be the worst wide receiver group in the, in the ACC? Which they may have been last year. No. I think this is, this is a group where you've got enough pieces that can do what you want that you can at least be reasonable, at least be decent in the passing game. And if you're primarily run offense and you've got guys that can win verticals, that's enough. So that's a big deal. Then you add to that, OL depth was the problem, right? Offensive line depth was, you know, some would say the biggest problem last year. I think wide receiver inability to win one-on-ones might have been a bigger problem last year. But <laughs> as we talked about last year, if you have uh, if you have one problem of those two without the other, well, that's a big deal. If you have both of them, those two things compound each other. Because if you have playmakers at wide receiver, but you're not real good at offensive line, well, at least they have to worry about your receivers so they can't apply as much pressure to your offensive line. But if you're bad at both, it's it compounds. It's you know, it's an exponential thing. It's a force multiplier. If you improve at both to where neither is a weakness, now you've eliminated not only those weaknesses, but the force multiplier effect of both of them being bad at the same time. And what they did is they again threw four transfers at the at the problem. And just like with wide receiver, one of those four got hurt, that being Caden Lyles. Uh, really sad to see him tear his ACL. He's had, you know, that's now his third third knee injury. You knew it was a risk when you when you brought him in, but it was a worthwhile risk to take. But the other three all appear to be hits. All three are in the two deep. All three are appear to be upgrades over over guys that were in those roles last year. So first of all, bless Harris, who I was pretty excited about when he, when they brought him in to begin with, just because of the the physical tools. It's like, well, how quick is he going to be able to adjust to the level of play? That's the question. How much is he going to benefit from a season of uh, from an off season of of this level of strength and conditioning? That's an open question. But the tools, the tools were all there. Well, he's now probably your best tackle. So you've upgraded that position. Dimitri Emmanuel has stepped in and has been the starter since the beginning of camp and has not let that go at right guard and is an improvement, is an upgrade over last year where you had a a sort of one-and-a-half-legged Love Taylor. And then you added, last minute, Turnitin, the the, the offensive tackle from South Carolina, 
who becomes your third tackle in this group. And he's a guy that is he uh is he an Alabama level offensive tackle? No, otherwise he'd be starting. But he can play at the SEC ACC level and be a serviceable player. So if you get one of those guys, if Scott or or Harris goes down, you now have a guy that can actually come in and play and not be a massive a, a gaping hole, a massive weakness. So now you you've actually got three tackles that can play. And that's without getting to some of the others to Julian Armella and we'll talk about that in a minute. But those three guys all of a sudden change the equation in terms of what you're able to do on the interior as well. So now because you've got Harris and Turnitin that give you two guys at the, at the tackle position that you can trust along with Robert Scott, now you can take Darius Washington, who is now fully, you know, full go after recovering from his injury in the spring. Now you can slide him from right tackle where he was playing out of position to begin with, but he was the only, again, one of two offensive tackle guys that you could trust at all. And you slide him inside. And since he's not needed at right guard, if you've got any any lack of depth at center, suddenly he can he can be a very good center for you. Going to have to continue to work on snapping to be more consistent there. But again, if you're looking at the difference between last year when Smith was out there at 270 versus Darius Washington at 300 this year, which one are you going to take? I'm taking Washington this year over Smith last year. Now, this year, Smith being about 290, you know, if he's healthy, you probably probably take Smith over Washington, but that's an open question. And in any case, you take either one of them over baby on Johnson as the backup center last year. Then you've got a healthy Dylan Gibbon Gibbons at the other, at the other guard and Robert Scott returning, expecting improvement as well. So if you basically compare the starting five on the offensive line from 2022 to last year, I think you can make a strong case that all five spots are expected to be better than last year. So you have Robert Scott and Dylan Gibbons both returning and each one a year more developed, each one coming in more healthy to the season than they did last year. Then you have either a 290-pound Maurice Smith versus a 270-pound Maurice Smith last year or Darius Washington at center. And I think you take either one of those this year over last year. You take Emmanuel over Love Taylor on one, you know, one legged one ta- Love Taylor last year. And you take Bless Harris over Washington at right tackle. All five spots are upgraded on the offensive line. I think you go from a starting five that last year was about average, maybe just a tick below average, but right around average, to an offensive line that is actually has a chance with that, with that five to be legitimately good, like top quarter, top third of the ACC good. If they can stay healthy with with that five or six guys there. And then when you compare the backups, I think you've got eight or nine guys that you can trust. Because Estes and Schrader have shown so far in the in, in this camp that they, they appear to be trustworthy. They're no worse than equal to what Bavion was last year. So now you've got those two. And then you've got Turnitin over any backup offensive tackle that you had last year. And Armella over any backup offensive tackle that you had last year. And before anybody says, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. A true freshman Armella over any, ba- any offensive tackle that you had last year? Well, he's, he's going to be on the depth chart above those guys who are still on the roster this year. 
So you're telling me he wouldn't be better than what they were last year? So if we're going to compare that, out of all the backups last year, I think only Bavion Johnson would be in the two deep this year. Because Lloyd Willis would be behind Turnitin and Armella, as would Rod Orr. And then you've got Schrader was, was hurt last year. Zane Herring is behind Estes. So I, I think when you start looking at this, you essentially have probably eight or nine guys that can actually play on the offensive line this year that are, that are not a disaster if they go in. That, that level of depth allows you to feel much more comfortable coming into the season. It also allows you to, to do some more development during, during practice during the season, so that's good. But I think your five have improved, and I think you've got at least three backups that can actually play. That's a huge deal. And that's despite Lyles getting hurt in camp. So now you've upgraded the offensive line, I think, significantly. So you've significantly upgraded linebacker. You've upgraded the corner position, I think, significantly. You've improved at wide receiver. We'll see how significantly, but it it could be the ceiling there's pretty high. And then you've significantly raised the floor on the offensive line. So five out of the six things that you were that you came out of last year saying got to improve last from over this year, well, five of those six things I think are going to be significant improvements coming out of camp. The sixth one is a little trickier because the sixth one ideally you'd have liked to add another quarterback to you know be a an insurance policy if Travis goes down for any length of time like he did last year. That's what you'd like to have. To feel great about the depth at quarterback, you'd like to have added a, a veteran who could play. They weren't able to do that, but they did add early enrollee A.J. Duffy, and they did get another year of development from Tate Rodemaker, more limited in terms of physical stuff, but a guy that, again, might be able to, you know, 2014 Sean McGuire it if, if called upon, that sort of thing. So... You know, not quite as strong of an arm as McGuire, but, you know, able to manage a game and not just go out there and lose a game for you. That's that's essentially where you're at with with him at this stage of his development. So you feel better about the quarterback position than you did with, you know, one one legged Mackenzie Milton last year with those two guys, even though, again, you'd really like to have more more depth there at the quarterback position. So I'd say five out of the six spots, you feel better. And the one thing that you did do is, you know, Travis, you, you did find, figure out some of the things that were causing some problems for him. You, they, they figured out late last year some of the dietary triggers that were causing some problems and had kept him off the field at times. And he hasn't had the issues that he did earlier in his career since they figured that stuff out. And that's one of the reasons why he's added some good weight. So if he's able to stay and practice every day and stay on the field, then that's a moot, a moot point. But you know, knock on wood, the guy stays healthy. Uh, and you hope that the combination of offensive line and wide receiver improvement also helps keep him healthier just by being able to, you know, get get guys open quicker and also keep him protected longer. So, you know, we'll see there. But that is one that is still a reason for concern coming into this year. So then the other thing that you do, in addition to looking at, okay, what were last year's weaknesses? Where do they need to be improved? The other thing that you do is you look at your key losses and you say, okay, who who was lost that is absolutely gonna gonna hurt that was a, a really good player for us? 
And you really had three last year. You had Corbin, Keir Thomas, and Jermaine Johnson. Praise be unto him. And you look at what they did, I think actually compared to Ja'Shawn Corbin, who's a really good player last year, I think they upgraded. I think Trey Benson's the most talented running back they've had on campus since, since Cam Akers. Benson's a guy that's a, an NFL running back. And I think he's, if he stays healthy this year, you're looking at a guy that's you know, an 1,100, 1100 uh, rushing yard type guy. So you upgraded there. Managed to handle that loss well. Then you lost your big end with Keir Thomas. And I think you've upgraded that position as well with Dennis Briggs there. And then you've also got a you know, super senior Leonard Warner who's there as an edge setter who can, who can take, eat up some snaps and actually be a competent player more in the running game there. And then you've you know, got some other bodies that you can throw in there that have been started to develop, whether that be uh, Byron Turner or Patrick Payton that can actually play there. And you've got more depth at the end position than you, that you had last year, than you had last year. And again, I think the, the big end position is actually better than it was with Keir Thomas. Thomas was a good player. I think Briggs is an NFL player. So I think they've, they've upgraded at that spot. And then, well, you, you lose Jermaine Johnson, praise be unto him. And you're not going to replace that with an improvement. <laughs> you're not going to upgrade that spot. And they didn't, but they did go out and they added Jared verse. And that's at least going to soften the blow a little bit. They're not going to be better. They're, they're going to be worse at the defensive end spot than they were last year. But with Verse and McClendon rotating at that spot, they'll get at least some production and it won't be a weakness on the defense. So you go from a, a gigantic strength that teams had to scheme around at that spot to a good, a good set of players. And yeah, that's a drop-off. But you still have the same guys inside. You have a better guy opposite them. And... You're better at, at Mike Backer. You figure, figured out your safety situation end of the year, and then you're better at corner. And that defense overall is going to be significantly better than it was last year. And it finished the year as you know top 30, top 25 defense in terms of level of play in the last five games or so. So that's going to be a good defense. So those are the reasons for optimism. And then you start coming in and you go, okay, what, what, are, what are some reasons for pessimism? One is... There have been some injuries. There's been some shuffling on the offensive line in camp that, you know, isn't ideal. You'd like to be the exact same five guys, fully healthy all season. Not the case. That's that's a concern still. And again, you're not you're still not Notre Dame or Alabama level uh, depth and, and quality on the offensive line. So you'd like to have things stay fully healthy the rest of the way. And then, of course, the schedule is no picnic. You don't you don't have uh you know, the advantage of, say, an SEC East schedule minus minus Georgia, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But the schedule's no picnic. You're going to have to be a lot better to even make a bowl this year than you were last year. But all that said, I think as I've evaluated what they've added, what they also lost, what has happened during camp, who's emerged, where they've managed to plug some holes and all of that. You know, my conclusion here, and this conclusion brought to you, of course, by EPR Creations and also by Shenandoah Newsma of Shenandoah Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find them at EPRCreations.com and ShenRealEstate.com. Tell them each you heard about us, about them from the Unconquered Podcast. This conclusion 
my conclusion is that this team really might surprise some folks this year. I, th- I think there's a quiet confidence in Tallahassee for a reason right now. They've raised the floor significantly. And what that means is that you're going into fewer games where it's a toss-up or you, you expect to lose. The floor allows you to come into more games where, okay, all things being equal, this, you can pencil in a win here. And last year, you, you remember, I went into the year saying, look, there's almost no games on this schedule that you can just pencil in a win. Last year, we, I think going in, I thought there might have been two, and they ended up losing one of those. So there were almost no games last year that you could pencil in as just an almost certain win going into the season. This year, I think there's four. So that's a significant bump in terms of your overall floor for the ceiling, or for, for, for the season. Your floor is, you should win four games, regardless of who's playing quarterback, regardless of other things. You just go out and play football, and you don't turn it over six times, and you should win those, those four games. And then, if, you know, if you've got eight toss-up games beyond that, which that's not what they have, but let's just imagine that they have eight games that are toss-ups at that point, then you expect to win four of those, and you're having an eight-win eight season. Now, in my next episode, I'm going to do the full season preview and, and talk about what my actual expectations for this team would be in terms of breaking down the season and win shares and what the ceiling and floor are. Uh, as I see it against this schedule. But again, I think there are four wins on the schedule as, you know, sort of that you can kind of assume at the beginning of the season. And then they're going to have to compete to win any other game. But that's a, that's a significant improvement. That's an improvement of two or three over what they had last year, what they went into last year with. And I think they've also raised the ceiling. So thing is they competed in every game last year. There was not a game that they got blown out in last year, that they didn't have a chance to win last year. They were in every game, but now they do have some weapons who in those 50-50 dogfights or 60-40 dogfights where, you know, you, you should win, but, you know, you're going to have to play well to win or, yeah, you know, they're probably a little better than you, but, you know, if you make one or two plays, then you then you win that game. They didn't have the weapons who could put them over the top in those close games. And this year, I think they may. I mean, I think Benson's big playability. I think Johnny Wilson's ability to uh, to win one-on-ones on the outside. I think Micah Pittman at, at punt return uh, and, and also just as a gadget player helps. And then, you know, who knows what you're going to get from Deuce Span in terms of, of potential to run by people. I think they now have some weapons who can put them over the top in some of those close games. So you've raised your floor. You think you probably should be able to win four games. You know, pencil in four wins is my thought. And then you've raised the ceiling so that instead of just competing in some of those games where maybe the other team is a little bit better than you or, you know, it's a, it's a game you're going to have to really compete to win. Instead of just competing, you've got a couple guys that can make the plays to put you over the top there. You know, that that takes you from, okay, well, you know, Maybe you can expect a you know seven win season or whatever. Well, okay, that might be where your expectation would be, but the potential is all on the upside there as long as the quarterback stays healthy. And I think that's where they're at as as a program right now. I'll break more of that down in the next podcast, but for now, I think uh, that's been enough uh, for a uh, catch up episode after not having done anything for a few months. Good to be back in the saddle. 
As always, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.